give him a shout in this place. No rival, no equal, the name above every name. God has given Jesus the name above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow. The Bible says, in heaven, on the earth, and under it. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Are you glad to be in his presence today? Come on, why don't we give him another shout of praise in this place. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to get straight into God's word this morning. You may be seated. Let's thank our musicians for blessing us this morning. Wonderful. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the essential ingredients to building a healthy church. The, the essential ingredients to building a great life. There are ingredients to building a great life. There really are. There are ingredients necessary to build a successful life. How many want a great life? How many want a fulfilled life? How many want a blessed life by God? Well, there are essential ingredients that need to be in place in order for our lives to thrive, in order for our lives to be successful. And as we begin to look in God's Word, as we begin to apply God's Word to our lives, I honestly believe that you will see a wonderful blessing and a richness in your life come about as a result of pursuing God's Word. We've mentioned that James, in his letter to the church, says, don't just be hearers of the Word. You know, it's easy to hear the Word week after week. It's easy to watch Christian TV, great as it may be. It's easy to, you know, listen to preachers line after line. But if we solely just simply listen to the Word of God and we don't practice it and we don't do it and we don't integrate it into our living, we'll miss out on so much. We really will. James says, listen, God wants us to have a living faith. He wants us to see the power of His Word, of His promises working in our lives so that we can really thrive, so that we can really be the light to others that Jesus spoke about. God wants your life to reflect His glory. That's a wonderful thing. God wants your life to be a mirror image, a picture of His wonderful grace, of His wonderful love. When people look at you and I, God wants them to see aspects of His character, aspects of His nature. What is God like? Well, He's not like some, you know, some of the caricatures that this world would have us believe He is. God is gracious. God is loving. God is slow to anger, rich in mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And God wants that love and those aspects of His character and of His grace to be reflected through us, His church. He really does. So that when you, you turn up at work on Monday morning, you're not singing that old Boomtown Rat song, Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays. You'll be able to tell them why you love Mondays. Because Jesus lives in you. 
And you know, this isn't some kind of Mickey Mouse fairy tale life that we're talking about. This is wonderful life. You know, Peter said, we've mentioned it over the weeks, he, he assured the church that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us great and precious promises. And lots of times we've got to stir ourselves up, remind ourselves of those promises, and don't settle for second best. Don't settle for just a get-by life. No, demand everything that God has given you as a result of Jesus dying on the cross. Demand all of the blessings that He wants to pour into your life as a result of the presence of His Holy Spirit being by your side. We have a wonderful life. We really do. And sometimes, you know, it can seem hard. It can seem tedious. It can seem as if everything's set against it. But in those times, we've got to, again, realign ourselves and, and, and have a fresh realization that God is for us and not against us. An ever-present help in times of trouble. But there are essential ingredients to having a successful life. You know, lots of people define success in different ways. Some people define success by the car that you drive. Some people define success by the house or the houses that you have, or by the holidays that you go on, or by the amazing clothes that you wear, as I'm wearing this morning. You know, we all have different definitions of success. But God's definition of success is very different from the world's definition of success. In fact, the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his right to become a child of God? God says, listen, you can gain everything within the world. You can acquire all of the, all of the great things that this old world runs after, generation after generation. But if you forfeit your right to become a child of God, you have nothing. An incredible statement, an incredible insight. Why does God say that? I'll tell you why. Because He knows that life and its fulfillment is not found in things. It's found in His presence. He knows that life and its fulfillment is not found in, in big houses and fancy cars. They're great. No problem with them. No problem with, with, with having stuff. But the essence of life and peace and joy is found in Him and in nothing else other than Him. And that's why that statement is made in the Bible. You can acquire everything in this world, but you have nothing if you forfeited your right to become a child of God, when you become a lover of Jesus, when Jesus comes in to live in your heart, oh, the wonderful change that takes place. It's indescribable. It's unimaginable. Uh, unimaginable blah, 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 blah. It's unbelievable. But it's so wonderful. It really is. It really is. If you are here today and maybe you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, please think about what I'm going to say today. Please think about the moment where I'm going to pray at the end of this service in, in not so long from now where I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Christ into your heart.
Because that is the wonderful moment designed for you to have a Savior in your life that will never leave you, never forsake you, and always be there for you. But we've been talking over these weeks about the essential ingredients to building a successful life. And we've said that it's love. Love is that essential ingredient that we need in our lives, that we need in our church home, in this family, for it to thrive, for it to be healthy. But also we need this essential ingredient of love in our hearts, in our lives, in order for our lives to thrive. And it's not any old kind of cheap love. It's the love of God. It really is. It's not MTV love or the definitions of love that you find in some kind of chat magazine or what you, what you see in some sitcom where the love is up and down and it's full of pain and full of hurt. No, we're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about the love of God that is very, very different to the love that we've grown up in and grown up under and become aware of in our experiences. This love is perfect love. This love is wonderful love. And this love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Paul said in Romans 5, verse 5. It's a real love. It's a blessed place. And it wants to be resident and present in our daily experiences as we move through this life and we meet people. Amen? I read a, a story, a true story, by a man called Floyd McClung in a, in a book that he wrote called How to Love People. And in that book, he retells a, of, a, of, a, of a testimony when God called him and his wife to move into the center of the red light district in Amsterdam. They had two children, Matthew and Misha, and God told him to go to Amsterdam right into the center of the red light district there. So he hired a flat, rented a flat, two-bedroom flat, and one neighbor was the Satanist church. The other neighbor was a homosexual brothel. So he was right in the center of that, the darkest place in Amsterdam. And he said, when we first went out and walked down the street, the environment that we, that we were living in, that God had called us to, was very abnormal. It was an abnormal environment to take my children through every day. We walked past pimps, prostitutes, and drug dealers. It was an abnormal setting for me to bring my children up into, an abnormal setting for me to bring my wife into. But God had called us. He said, but over time, he said, as the weeks went by, the abnormal started to become normal. And he said, he said, to my surprise, he said, God had called me to set a church up right in the center of it all. And he said, my greatest evangelists were my two young children, Matthew and Misha. And he said, they would walk to school. And he said, they would pass hardened pimps, drug addicts, 
and prostitutes. But as they passed them, they didn't see them scantily dressed, looking for customers and, and with their immoral desires. They just saw people that they wanted to speak to and be kind to. So he said, I let my children reach out to the pimp, to the prostitute, and to the drug addict. And through simple kindness and through the giving of gifts, slowly but surely, even the hardest prostitutes, the pimps, and the drug addicts all started to get born again and went to Christ. It was moving through my children. They were building the church that God had called, called me to build. And then... After he retells that wonderful testimony, he begins to talk about in his book about when Jesus gets into the boat of your life. And he said, when Jesus gets into the boat of your life, there's no telling where you're going to go. There's no telling where you're going to end up. He said, when you're on the shore, you're, it, it's safe and secure. But when Jesus gets into your boat and he tells you to leave the shore, he said, you're going to go and move out into deep waters, deep and dark waters, and you do not know what storm you're heading into. But Jesus, you've got to trust, is in the boat and he's directing the, the boat to go somewhere. And he said, there's no telling when he's in the boat at what point he will tell you to drop the nets down. For a catch of fish. Children walking down a street in an abnormal environment that God had called a man to, to reach out to the unlovely, to reach out to what many would class the abnormal. But suddenly in a setting where God had called them, the abnormal becomes normal. The love of God starts to flow through children's lives. And the unreachable become reached. They become disciples and followers of Christ. That's what the love of God can do. You see, this love that we're talking about is a verb. That means very simply, in my limited understanding of English, it's a doing word. It's a word that, that requires action in order for it, to, for it to come into being. You just can't think about it. You just can't hear it. You have to go ahead and do it. And I want to say to you today that God, by His Spirit, is leading us into so many various situations in our lives, in our daily walk through this world that we have to be aware of. And it may be even an abnormal setting, an environment that God leads you into, but that, abno that abnormality in the environment is soon going to become very normal as, you, as the love of God begins to flow through you and as you begin to minister to people. Love is a doing word. Love is an action. And you see many displays of love when you look through the Bible, when you begin to view it, as God views it. In that room on that night in John chapter 13, when Jesus was with his disciples, he demonstrated a love by washing their feet and serving them. They were so wrapped up in themselves that they couldn't serve that they couldn't serve anybody. But Jesus, down on his knees, left them an example to follow, not to watch. This, isn't, this wasn't a night where Jesus was just entertaining with the boys. 
where Jesus just wanted to draw out sympathy from them. No, this was a direct lesson in what the kingdom of God is all about. He said, boys, he said, I'm leaving you an example. Servants are not greater than their master. And if your master does this, what is it saying to you? You need to follow my example. And then he says this, as I have loved you, love one another. Love one another. And then he follows it by this, by this statement. He said this, blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you. You see, the blessing is in the doing, not just in the hearing. Lots of times we hear many things and we think, I've got it. But not necessarily so. We have to commit our lives to seeking out opportunities where we can demonstrate that love of God for others. Who knows what's ahead of you in this week? Who knows what you're going to be invited into? Who knows where the boat of your life is going to set sail towards when Jesus is in the center of it? Who knows? You may be going into somebody's midnight hour. You may be going into a, a sharp, vicious storm that needs calming. You may, you may be sent into a situation where somebody just needs a healing hand to come on their head. And you're going to bring peace and comfort and wholeness. You may be sent into a variety of situations, but I guarantee you, as Jesus sends you, a corresponding love within you will enable you to demonstrate what is required for that given moment to help those that are hurting, to help those that are broken, to help those that just need care and attention and love. Oh, we are in a sea of humanity. We are in a sea of pain. We are in a sea of discouragement, a sea of hopelessness. It's all around us. There's people that are bereft of hope. There's people that are bereft of life. There are people that are bereft of, of any kind of idea why they're here and they're trying to end it all. We are in a sea of human need, church. And I'm telling you now, we are going to be like that good Samaritan on the Jericho Road where we come with the oil and the wine and we minister to those that that are languishing at life's side, we're going to pick them up and we're going to put them into a place of care and wholeness and blessing. It's called the church. It's called the church. The family of God. The family of God. We looked last week at how Paul helped a church that was breaking apart with their strife and their anger and their fighting and their, their position hunting. And he just brought them back to the blueprint that never fails. He just brought them back to the design for their lives that would see them through every relational difficulty as he gave them 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And he begins to list that wonderful list of attributes that is contained in God's nature. And he, he, he began to point them back to how it should be among them. The very, the very blueprint that Jesus used in the room with his disciples on that night before he was betrayed. Paul picks up and he begins to list exactly all of the wonderful qualities 
that that love has. And he hands it to a church that's fighting. He hands it to a church that's arguing. Got all kinds of problems. Listen, problems in church are as old as the Bible itself. We're going to get problems. We're just people. But the great thing is, do you know what? The great thing is when we move through those problems and we say, ah, do you know what? I, I know you were angry or I know I was angry too, but you, you tap each other on the back and you say, come on, let's make a fresh start. Let, let, let's, let's dust ourselves off and carry on down the road and, and achieve our destiny together in the house of God and with God's family. I tell you now, when people have that kind of resolve that they can move through conflict, they can move through pain and argument and confusion, when they have that resolve, Nothing, nothing will defeat them. Do you know some of my best friends, some of my closest friends that I have are people that I have fought with hard, hard, argued with, fought with, turned around and said things that I shouldn't have said to them. And I'm the pastor. <laughs> Listen, you'd be very wrong if you think there's a halo around my head. No halo around my head. But so, oh, thank you, James. <laughs> no, he said. Oh, God, help me. At least there's somebody that agrees with me in the house. But you know what? They are my best friends because through time, yeah, there may have been a bit of a, a season of silence between us. There may have been a, a season where we feel uncomfortable around each other, but we've decided to root ourselves down in the house of God and we've moved on through those things and those conflicts and those wounds have healed and now we look back and we laugh and we think, do you know what? I, I realize, yeah, I was I immature in that area. I shouldn't have said that and I've apologized. And do you know what? Those people, those people become your greatest friends. They really do. There's no, there's no option to walk out and leave your brother and sister behind. They need you. And you need them. This love works at every level. This love doesn't just work when, when things are going well. When, when things are flying high. When you're in your honeymoon period within the church. No, this love works in the darkest night. This love works when you feel that you're alienated and everybody's looking at you and avoiding you in the room. This love works. This love works. Now this morning, I just, for the time that we have remaining, I want to just pick up on four words from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Paul continuing to exhort the church at Corinth regarding love, regarding their lives together as a family, wanting to readdress and redirect them 
now after 1 Corinthians 13, after he explained so wonderfully what the true nature and attributes and love of God is, he moves on and he sets this challenge to them to set their course and their future. He says this, do everything in love. Do everything in love. They'd been doing a lot of things to each other that were hurtful, that were spiteful. They'd, they'd been breaking each other apart because life is always about doing something. But now Paul addresses their actions, addresses their attitudes towards one another. And he says, listen, if you're going to achieve everything that Jesus wants you to achieve as a church in this city in Corinth, you have to do everything in love. It's a tall order. He's so, he, he, he's so exclusive in, in his use of his words. He says everything, not just some things, not just in the good times, but also in the tough times, in the challenging times. He says, do everything in love. And the challenge and the encouragement seems completely impossible. Do everything in love. But I tell you now, the Holy Spirit wants to get all of us to a place where these words, these four simple words can become the reality of our lives. Where nothing that we do is unfashioned by love. Where love has its hand on every action. Where love is, is the motive behind every word. Where love is the source of every thought. So that everything about your life is an expression of this wonderful God love. This wonderful love of God in your heart, through your life. Oh, what a life. Oh, what a goal to set. What goals you got? So many people have so many goals. What could our goal be? What could our motto be as a church? We just want to do everything in love. My God, you fulfill those words and this place will be way too small. You fulfill those words as, as in your home, in your, in your workplace, in your life. Everybody will want to be around you. You'll never have a lonely day ever. Do everything in love. You see, you have to do something as a result of just going and living every day. You're always in something as a result of doing something. Let me explain. One day, some really angry men caught hold of a woman that had been caught in adultery. And they pulled her out of a bed in the very act and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. Now, what were they in when they did that? They were angry. They were in anger. They were in their self-righteousness. They were in their judgmental attitudes. And that's what caused them to do what they did when they took that woman from that bed and they threw her at Jesus' feet. But Jesus wasn't in anger. Jesus wasn't in self-righteousness. Jesus wasn't in a judgmental attitude. Jesus was in love. 
He did everything in love. And he turned to those men and he said, he who has not sinned, cast the first stone. They turned around, walked away. Jesus was left alone with that woman. And what did he do? He said to her, woman, where's your accusers? And she said, Lord, they've gone. And he said, he said this, you see, he did everything in love. He never stepped outside of love. When you step outside of love and you start doing things out of other emotions, that's when it gets dangerous. That's when you begin to fight and falter and fall in so many ways. But when you do everything in love, there's blessing not only for you, but blessing for others. Jesus says, where's your accusers? They've gone, Lord. And then he says this, because he's in love, you see, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And she goes free. Whatever Jesus did, he did in love. Whatever he did. Many times we step outside of that love and we begin to try and correct the situations of life that come our way when only if we would stay in that love... If only we would stay in that love, we would be protected from all of the pains and all of the difficulties and confusions that we go through. Do everything in love, Paul said. Read a story about Dr. Tony Campolo, an amazing man of God. Don't know if you're aware of his ministry, but he is an incredible evangelist worked right across the world, preached the gospel in many countries, crusades, seen thousands of people saved as a result of his ministry. And on one occasion, he was in Hawaii, and he was in a hotel room, and he woke up early one morning because his body clock was all over the place. He woke up, and he thought, I'm going to go for breakfast somewhere. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, I can't sleep. I might as well do something with my time. So he heads out of the hotel, goes into the city looking for somewhere to find breakfast. Can't find anything because of the early hour. Everything's shut up and in darkness. And then he walks down this little side alley and he sees this grotty little restaurant or grotty little cafe and it's open. Nobody in it. He walks in. This big guy comes up to him and says, what do you want? He says, I'd like just some coffee and a donut, please. Sits down. The guy brings him the coffee and the donut. And then nine prostitutes walk in. And now Tony Campolo's getting a bit nervous because these women are really brash and, you know, really dress scantily. And they come and they sit by him. He's getting nervous as a preacher, doesn't know what to do. It's an abnormal environment that he's not used to. An abnormal situation. He wasn't expecting that on that, on that early hour in the morning. But he just sat there and he starts to eat his donut a little quicker, drink his coffee because he wants to get out of the place. When one prostitute turns to another and she begins to tell this her friend, that it's her birthday the next day. She's 39 years of age. Her name is Agnes. 
And she said, hey, it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm 39 years of age. And the, other, the prostitute turns to her and says, what do you want me to do about it? She's angry. What do you want me to do about it? Do you want me to throw you a party or something? Agnes turns to her friend and she said, hey, listen. I don't want you to throw a party. For me, I've never had a party. I've never had a birthday party. I was just telling you it's my 39th birthday party tomorrow. Suddenly, Tony Campolo realizes why he's in the cafe. Suddenly, the love of God begins to move in this man's heart as he hears this prostitute recount her past. She'd never had a birthday party in her life. Prostitutes get up, they go out the door, and Tony Campolo is left in the cafe, hearing the words of this woman and the pain in her heart. He stands up. You see, the love of God is, a, is, is active. It's not passive. It has to do something when it faces the pains of, of, of life in another person. When the compassion of God becomes alive inside you, you can't just sit back and listen to a person, you know, empty their heart and their, and their hurts in front of you without doing anything and getting involved. He hears this and he goes to the, the big guy who owns the cafe and he says, hey, mate, he said, I've got an idea. He said, those prostitutes, he said, do they come here every night? The guy said, yeah, they're here every night. The one that was sat next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah, her name's Agnes. She's a nice lady. She's kind. She helps people. She's here every night. They've been coming here every night for years. So Tony Campolo says, listen, I've got an idea. He said, it's that girl's birthday tomorrow. She's never had a birthday party. Wouldn't it be great if we could throw a birthday party for that girl in this place when she comes here tomorrow night? A surprise birthday party for her. Wouldn't that be fantastic? The owner smiles, calls his wife. The wife agrees she's going to bake the cake. It's all set. Tony Campola says, listen. He said, I will be here at 2.30 tomorrow morning. He said, we'll set this place up. We'll decorate it. And he said, we'll give her the surprise of her life. Tony Campolo goes away, comes back 2.30 the next morning, and they begin to decorate that place. He'd cut out big happy birthday letters, and they pasted them on the wall. And then he's even shocked by the response of others as, as word had spread. There was probably about 40 or 50 prostitutes that had gathered in that place as they'd heard about what was about to happen for Agnes on that night. They're all there heaving in this small cafe, and then the moment comes, 3.30 in the morning, Agnes walks in with her friend, they open the door, and everybody shouts at the top of their voice, Happy birthday, Agnes! She is completely blown away. She doesn't know what to do. She freezes. Her legs buckle. She's about to collapse. Her friend grabs her. She'd never had anything like that in all of her life. And then suddenly, the wife brings the cake out with 39 candles on it, and it's put in front of her face, and she's asked to blow the candles out. 
at that, she breaks down. She starts weeping uncontrollably. The guy who owns the cafe hands her a knife and says, Agnes, please, cut the cake. It's your birthday party. It's your cake. Cut the cake. She responds and says, please, I don't want to cut this cake. I've never had a cake. I just want to take it home and keep it and treasure it. The guy turns to her and he says, listen, he said, if you want to keep this cake and take it home, you can do whatever you want to do. And he said, we will respect your wishes. She grabs the cake. She takes it down the street and goes home. Tony Campolo stands up, in the chair, uh, up on one of the chairs. They didn't know what to do now. Because suddenly, the person who, whose birthday it was had gone home with the cake. And everybody was standing quiet. Tony Campolo stands up on the chair. And he said, can I take a moment just to pray for Agnes that Jesus would look after her, that she would become aware of his love for her, and that she would receive him as Savior. And could I also pray for all of you too in this place? They agreed. Tony Campolo prays the prayer and then gets down off the chair as the, 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 the prostitutes go out of that cafe. The, rest, the, the cafe owner comes up to him and kind of frustrated says, Hey, I didn't realize that you were a preacher. Anyway, what kind of church do you go to? And up out of his heart, up out of his spirit, Tony Campolo responded, The kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. The man responded. He said, If there were a church like that around here, he said, I would be in it. I would be in it. We want to be a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. We want to be a church. We want to be a people that throws birthday parties for any type of person, person that has been injured by life, hurt and broken and left disheveled by this world. We want the love of God to be so resident and prevalent in our heart that we are willing to pick up the wounded. We are willing to pick up any person, no matter what state they're in, and see the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit go to work in restoring them. Do everything in love. What if Floyd McClung, when God had told him to go into the center of a red light district in Amsterdam, had turned around to God and said, I'm not going there. What about my kids? I don't think a church would have been started in that place. What if Tony Campolo would have stood on religious morals and thought, my God, I can't sit around here with people like this. I'm leaving. The love of God would have never ministered to people that need it most. Hey, listen. The love of God will reach a prostitute. The love of God will reach adulterers. The love of God will, really, will reach drug addicts. The love of God will really, 
will reach any type of person captured by any sin. How do I know that? Because it reached you and me. It reached you and me. And today, it's wonderful to know that love is evident in our midst. Do everything. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Do everything in love. Do everything. Don't step out of it into another kind of disposition, into another kind of emotion, into what you would have done last year or 20 years ago. Don't step back into that old stuff. Do everything in the love of God. Now, we need the Holy Spirit to help us live in that love, and He will. He really will. He will help us to access this love. But as we go out into our world, as we meet with our, our, our extended family, as we meet our friends, just listen. Just be aware. Just watch. Just watch. The opportunities will come to you. You won't have to go looking for them. They'll come to you. They'll be queuing up. They'll be queuing up to meet you because that, this love is inside you. You say, well, Dave, I've, I've never reached a person. I've never seen that love at work through my life toward another. You will. You will. You really will. Just be. Just be available. Just be. As you, as you, as you meet people, look in their eyes. Go to God and say, God, I just want to reach people for you. Help them. Even if it's just one. God may give you a person, a friend, and they're going to need your commitment for the next 20 years. Are you willing to give it? Don't look for a, a thousand people or 10,000 people. Look for one. Will you devote your life to a friend to a person that may not be able to or ready to accept Jesus today or come to church, but you're just willing to walk the road with them for the next 20 years, 30 years. Whatever it takes, I'll be with you. you I, I'll be the one that you can call when you've got nobody to turn to. Be that type of friend to them. And I'm telling you, the love of God will work through our lives. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray right now. We're going to ask Jesus to help us, to use us. We're going to ask Jesus to help us love one another as he has loved us in this place. But on beyond that and outside of these walls, we're going to ask Jesus to use us for his glory, to use the boat of our lives to stand in to minister from, to let down his net, to catch others. We're going to ask him. And then it's over to him then. It's over to him. Father, I pray for every person here today under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that somebody reached out to us and shared the good news of the gospel whereby we could open our hearts and ask you to come into our lives 
Oh, what a world of difference that made. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today that you would send people along their path. People that wouldn't argue with them. People that wouldn't fight them. But people that would just be ready with open heart to receive you. I pray, Lord, that you would make us laborers in the fields that are so white and ready for harvest. I pray, Holy Spirit, by your power, we would sense your closeness and your nearness as we walk through every week and every day. Lord, if there's one person in this place today that doesn't know you, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just open their heart right now. Lord, that you, they, they would be ready to receive you and put their faith and their trust in you. Today, you've heard me talk about Jesus. You've, we've sung about it. Maybe you've just sensed his life in this place. You may be here today and you've never prayed a prayer. Asking Jesus into your heart. Listen, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You're not praying to me. You're not praying to any person in this building. You're praying to Jesus. Let me ask you, and we don't like to think about this, but if you were to leave the earth today, if this were the last day of your life today, where would you spend eternity? Where would you be beyond the grave? Jesus says, listen, I'm your Savior. I want you to know with, for certain that you will spend eternity in heaven with me if that is you and you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You do not know the peace of God in your heart. I want to give you an opportunity right now to pray a short prayer with me. You're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and He's going to become your Savior and your Lord. Pray these simple words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you're alive. And I ask you right now to come into my heart. I put my trust in you. And I ask for your peace to live in me. And I ask you for you to live in me. Amen. Now while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you quickly lift your hand up? I'll see it. We just want to give you a Bible. And then you can put it down. Is there a person here today? You prayed that prayer. Lift your hand quickly. I'll see it. And you can put it down. If not, that's it, my love. Well done. Can we get a Bible to that lady? Thanks, Nick. Anybody else? Another, another one over here, is there? Do you want to just quickly lift your hand up and we'll give you a Bible? Yeah, we can get a Bible there. Is there anybody else you prayed that prayer? That's it. You're not joining a church or an organization. We'd love to see you again, but you're putting your life in the hands of somebody that will never fail you. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.